Hey everybody, this is Randy, and this is not your typical third cup of coffee podcast. This is a quick bonus episode, and it's actually a message that Kelsey preached in Alaska back in 2011. Last week, someone reached out to her and said, hey, I've been passing this sermon around for the past nine years, and I think it's more timely now than it ever has been before. So we took a listen to it. Turns out it really is. It's interesting how applicable it is right now. At the front end, you'll hear our good friend Daniel Bracken as he introduces her, and then uh, Kelsey just shares her heart. Uh, It's about an hour, and so maybe pour a cup of coffee, get ready and go for a walk, but listen, I think the message is worth the time. Guest, Kelsey Bolander, really a Deborah in the land, who's bringing a a word from the Lord. She's full of scripture. Comes with a real anointing and mantle from God to call people to prayer and intercession and action. She was here a few months ago and at a women's meeting. My I didn't go. But my wife went though and told me about it, that it was just life-changing. I think we had how many? Almost 40 churches, something like that, 30-something churches that came. About to be touched by God. Put your hands together for God's servant, Kelsey Bowen. I'm going to use two. Well, hello. I'm so glad to be here. I'm going to need two of these because I have too much paraphernalia. Thanks. All right, let me just get organized here. I know, my Bible's a little bit pitiful, isn't it? But it's my very favoritest Bible on the planet. It's my John Wesley study Bible. And what I understand is I can't get a new one unless I'm a Methodist pastor. So if you're a Methodist pastor in the house and you can give me the hookup, I'd really like to get like a new one of these. Until then, I'll just keep what I got. Well, I am just so jazzed to be here in Alaska again. I feel like we're coming home in a sense. And, uh, you know, people have even said, well, I think you guys need to be thinking about a second home or an apartment here or something. And I'm just thinking, well, Lou, we have that land. We could just pitch a tent or something, right? I mean, I guess that gets a little tricky in the winter, but... uh, (laughs) Hey, it's summer. We could do that right now. And I have my dance goes on, ladies. Woo! For those of you who don't know, I was gifted with these amazing shoes at the women's conference. And I feel like I've just stepped into a new stride. And I wear them all the time at home. I'm creating a trend back home in Kansas City. Uh, It's getting to be summer now, so I'm thinking Dansko flip-flops might be in order, (laughs) because I don't know if I can do this all summer, but uh, yeah, I'm loving it. I'm loving the shoes. I'm loving being here. I love that your faces are familiar now, and I don't know all of your names, but I see a lot of your faces, and I just love you, and I, I want you to know, you know, when I put on my shoes, and I running around doing errands, 
you know, in Kansas City, I'm actually thinking of Alaska. I look down at my shoes and I think, I think of the people here. I think of your faces. I think of the lady who uh, owns the shoe shop. I don't know if she's here today, but I've prayed for you. I've prayed that your, your ministry of shoes would be expanded. No, I'm serious. I think she has a ministry in her shoe shop. I, I pray for the faces that I've seen. The Lord has so put you in my heart. I feel almost like a, a missionary must feel. I've never been a missionary, uh, but I feel the love in my heart for you and for this land. Uh, it's just supernatural. It's from the Lord. And so I'm really blessed and honored to be here. Uh, yesterday I stood and I looked up at this banner and I, I don't know, something in my heart just skipped a beat. It's, it's almost surreal for me to be here in Wasilla, Alaska doing the call. This is something we've done. We've traveled with Lou and done these all around the nation. But this one is really, really dear to my heart and dear to the Lord. This is a historic weekend. This is a mercy gift from the Lord for Alaska and for the nation. I really believe that. Because what we're going to do here, what's happened here this weekend, what we're going to do this afternoon, this stage, it's not a stage any longer. This becomes the platform of the administration of the government of God. And from this platform, we're going to bind up demons. We're going to release angels. The gift of God, His power is going to be released to the nation. There are things that are going to happen here, like Randy said, that cannot happen in Washington, D.C. Because we are the ones who, who have the power and the authority to change heaven and earth and to have things move. God moves at the sound of our voice, and we are going to pray, and things are going to shift in Alaska and in the nation and in the planet this afternoon from this little place. And there is nowhere else I would want to be than right here this afternoon and for the next, oh, 10 hours or so. So buckle your seatbelts. We're going to go somewhere together. Amen. Well, I just want to show you a quick video of something else historic that's going on. And I want to show you because I want, to, I want you to see what you're involved in, what, what God is up to in the land today. And if you could just cue that up, uh, I'll have you play that in just a second. Uh, but like I said, what we're doing today is historic. And there, there are solemn assemblies like this that are springing up all over the nation. There is something that is happening in Texas this summer that I thought I may only dream about. A governor has called a solemn assembly to turn to the Lord with fasting and prayer. And it's not, I'm not talking like an all faith, everybody come and let's pray to whoever feels good. Governor Perry of Texas has said our nation is in a crisis. We are going to call out to the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, our Savior, and we're going to ask him for a turnaround because it's our only hope in America. Now, I have to say, when I heard this was happening, my heart was trembling because I thought, oh, God, what day is it when governors begin to call stadium solemn assemblies? 
Something is happening. I just want to show you this video quick, just to show you what's going on this summer, and then we'll go on. Economic collapse, injustice, violence. Perversion, division, abuse, depression, addiction, fear. Why is this happening now? Why is this happening to us? To them. To me. To this nation. Who is responsible? What can we do? I just want my children to be happy. For my parents to stop fighting. To get a job when I graduate. To be able to pay my bills. For my dad to love me. There's a crisis in America and not just one. Not just with the gas prices, the stock market. It feels like America's knees are buckling. Maybe that's the point. We cannot keep going like this. Someone has to do something. There has to be a response. I know I have to respond. Now. There is a response to be made. And it's not so politicians hear us, and it's not so others listen to us. God, our creator, must hear our plea, our cry. Our cry for justice. For restoration. For forgiveness. Mercy. Our governmental leaders have recognized this critical hour. An hour in history that cannot be ignored or wished away. Our government leaders have called this nation. This generation. Me. Me. To rise up and make a sound that will be heard in heaven. To make a response to America's crisis. To my sin. To my sin. We will respond with prayer and fasting. We will respond with humility and repentance. We will respond with worship and praise. On August 6th at Reliance Stadium in Houston, Texas, we will gather. We will join an uprising. We will make our response. I will make my response. I will make my response. I will make my response. This is happening. Where will you be? What will you do? What will be your response? What will be your response? Your response. Your response. What will be your response? So if you don't have plans for August 6th and can get to Houston, it sounds like that's going to be the place to be. Reliance Stadium, Houston, August 6th, Governor Perry and other governors getting together and calling the nation to prayer. We truly are living in a historic hour. Well, today, I, uh, I believe that the Lord has a message in my heart. It's different than perhaps I would have wanted to bring. And I struggled with it. I wrestled with the Lord and said, God, I, I just kind of want to go and talk about how beautiful you are and how much you love us. And I don't know, I just like the beauty realm. You know, I could just sit in the prayer room and talk about, talk to Jesus and look at his throne. And oh, I mean, Randy, I, I love that the calf and the lion doesn't do much for you, but man, it does a lot for my spirit. I'm just like, oh God, I want to see what he saw. <laughs> Don't you want to see what John saw? I want to see what he saw. Anyway, yesterday when Jesse spoke on the love of God and the very first commandment, 
I just felt a freedom in my heart to go for this message because the Lord has so laid the groundwork with His love and just His brilliant plan to win our hearts back. And I just want you to bear with me today as I come bearing a message that I believe is for this hour, and it's that crisis is in the land. Now may I just take a minute and talk about Jesus, just for a minute. <laughs> just humor me a minute. You know, Jesus is not, when, when I talk about crisis and when I even hear people talk about the judgments of God, I hear other responses from people saying, oh, that just, that's such a harsh God. How can you talk about the judgments of God? That, surely He doesn't do that. Surely that's Old Testament. And I just am here today to say, no, Jesus is not mostly a, a mad God sitting on His throne waiting with a scowl and a clenched fist for us to do something wrong so he could just unleash his judgments against the nation and wipe us out. It's not what he's about. He is so glad and he is so happy. He is so smiling at us. He loves us with a, with a fiery, jealous love. He is altogether lovely. He is it, the Song of Solomon says that his head is like fine gold. His leadership is perfect. He is the perfect headship of the church. His leadership is perfect over our lives. He's gracious and compassionate. He's full of mercy. He's abounding in love for us. And when we talk about the judgments of God, what it means is that my friend Jesus simply wants to remove everything that hinders that love. If there's anything in our lives, in our personal lives, that hinders love, He wants to target that and say, let's burn it up, let's get rid of it. I want you. I am so in love with you. I want to remove the things that are hindering love. And so it is for a nation. When there are things in the nation, idolatry that's set up, bloodshed on our land, he says that's hindering of the full intimacy that I want to have with my people. I need to remove that. And so when crisis comes into the land and we say, oh, where is God? Oh, certainly that's not God. I want to write, rise up today and be a voice and say, perhaps it is God, and perhaps He's removing everything that hinders love to set us up as the body of Christ, to be in fullness, to walk in fullness. How many of you know we can't walk in power encounters without walking first in love? I'll be the first to tell you, I want the miracles. I want to walk into Walmart, and I want Walmart to be transformed into a revival center. I want them to say, miracles on aisle 12. Anybody need healing? I want that to happen. I dream about that happening, actually. 
but I can't walk into Walmart and expect to walk in power encounters unless I first walked in love with my friend Jesus. And he wants, he wants the nation to have encounters with power, but he's saying, I first have to remove all that, that hinders love. And so today, we're here, we've all come. Many of you have a lot of other things you could have been doing today, this weekend, but you've come in response to a trumpet call. I'll just call it a trumpet sound of the Lord. It's resonated within your heart and you're here. You do not even understand or have language for some of it, but you've responded because you know the Lord is calling. Many of you have prayed for many, many, many years for this valley, for this state. You know the Lord's promises. You are confident in what he's going to do. You've heard him say this will be a, a place of refuge for many. You know that his spirit will be poured out. And so you're here today to sow in prayer and in fasting to see those promises come about. And I'm here to join you in that. But I'm also here, the Lord has sent me, and I have no doubt about it. I have to be clear. I have to be obedient to this message. I have to tell you folks, crisis is coming to America. Alaska will not be exempt. And some of you say, well, duh, that's no newsflash. Turn on Fox News, turn on CNN. Of course there's a crisis in the land. It's already here. Let me tell you a little dream I had. We can talk dreams, right? I had a dream a few months ago, and it shook me to the core. In the dream, I'm standing on a field, and I see a storm, the biggest storm I've ever seen coming. I knew it was going to destroy the city. And I ran into the house to get my children to take them to safety. And on the news, there was a weatherman. And he was smiling and joking around. And there was a big sunshine, you know, like they have, you know, in the forecasters. A big sunshine on the screen. And I'm like, no, there's a storm coming. And he's like, he's just chatting. Oh, it's going to be sunny today. Sunny in 85. And I'm thinking, oh, God, no, they're going to be destroyed. They have no idea what's coming. And I wake up, and it's 3.36, and I, I hear the Lord say, take note of that. I write it down. I go back to sleep. I have another dream. In the dream, I'm around a round table with a group of friends, and the Lord is talking to us, and He issues us an MOU, a Memorandum of Understanding, a contract. And he tells me, I hear audibly the Lord say in the dream, if you will tell everybody you know the storm is coming, you will have a little more time. And I wake up. And I say, God, what, what do you mean? And what's 336? Immediately the Spirit of the Lord says it's Ezekiel 33.6. Many of you are familiar with it. If you see a sword coming and you do not tell the people their blood will be on your hands. I'm going to stand before the Lord one day, and I, am going to, I want to have been obedient, and I'm here to tell you there is a storm coming to the land. And it's because He is so zealous for His name, for His people, for His glory, and he is going to come and remove everything that hinders love from this nation.
in Joel chapter 1. You know, Joel was kind of a normal guy. We don't know a lot about him. I'm going to assume he was just a normal guy. And he was sent to interpret the crisis that was at hand. And if you read in Joel chapter 1, he talks about a locust plague. And he says, you have got to take note of this. You have got to tell all your children, have the, your children tell their children. This is historic. These locusts came and they completely devastated the land. There was a, a measure of famine, economic collapse because their society was an agricultural society, so when the, the crops were destroyed, their livelihood was destroyed. I think it's interesting how God can bring down a nation with a little bug the size of your tip of your finger. You know, here's this prosperous nation. They have everything they need, and God sends a little bug, and poof, economic downfall, and suddenly people have nothing to eat. All because they turned from him. All because they had blood on their hands. And I can just hear the Lord saying, Be warned, you judges of the earth. Kiss the sun, lest he be angry, and send the beetle or the locust to take you down. In Joel chapter 2, he says, guys, because you didn't listen when I brought the bugs, because you didn't listen when your economy failed, something worse is coming. Sound the alarm. Blow the trumpet. It's really bad. There's a military invasion coming. This is what he says in Joel chapter 2. He says, it's the great and terrible day of the Lord. How can it be great and terrible at the same time? I kind of think it's like they were giving me a, a back massage back there to help me just kind of relax, pray for me. And she's like, oh, does that hurt? I'm like, no. Oh, yeah. Yeah, well, no. Yeah, it does, but it's okay. It was great. You know, it felt really good, but oh, that really hurt. It's the day of the Lord. It's great. It's very great. It's our greatest hour. But it's terrible because of the judgments that are coming on the land. I think this is where we're at as, as a nation. I think we're right in Joel chapter 2. Our economy is failing. A lot of stuff's happening. That, that it looks like we're kind of going down. But we don't have a, a widespread response. We're, there's pockets. Thank God for the pockets. Thank God for the mercy. These gatherings, this is, this is good. This is the Lord. But I'm telling you, the economy is bad. What's coming, people, is worse. What's coming is worse. And it's, it's because of this. It's because we have a crisis in the church. We have bloodshed on our watch. Fifty-plus million babies have been aborted, killed, 
blood spilled on the ground since 1973. This is a crisis for the church. This has happened on our watch. And I'll tell you that judgment is coming to the nation because of this. And you say that's Old Testament. Revelation chapter 6 is not Old Testament. Last time I looked, it's at the end of the book. Revelation chapter 6 shows me that there is a limit to the bloodshed that God will allow in the land before he breaks open and pours out his decisions upon the land. Now, Revelation chapter 6, I'll be clear, this is, a, this is what, the verse I'm going to read. It's the sixth seal in the end time judgments. We are not there yet, okay? I'm not, so don't go home and say, she said they opened the, God's opening the sixth seal. No. The seals have not been opened yet. That this is a principle. I'm reading this as a principle. It's the martyrs, chapter nine. When when I open, sorry, it's the fifth seal. Sorry, when I open, when he opened the fifth seal, I saw the altar of the souls who had been slain. Under the altar, the souls of those who had been slain for the word of God. And they cried out with a loud voice saying, How long, O God, until you avenge our blood? And a white robe was given to them, and it was said to them, Rest just a little while longer until the full number of those who are going to be killed is finished. Now do you see? There's a limit. God says there's a number. There's a number of souls. There's a number of martyrs. There's a limit to the blood that he will allow to cry from the ground before he opens up his heart of zeal and judges the nations. We've had a window. We've had a 38-year window to cry out, to plead the blood of Jesus. I don't know when that window's shutting, okay? I'm, I'm not exactly sure, but I'm telling you in my spirit, it's not, it's not open that much. It's like, oh, it's almost shutting. We don't have much time. How many is it? Is it 54 million? Is it 55 million? Is it 55 million and one that he will allow? I don't know but there's a limit to the bloodshed that he will allow because the, the cry of the martyrs comes to him and it moves his heart. He is so tender toward them. And he said, just a little while longer, I will avenge your blood. And then the sixth seal happens. I believe that this cry of the martyrs, the end time martyrs reaches his ear and it causes him to release a temporal judgment on the earth and the sixth seal. And it says there was a great earthquake that came. And it shook the nations. And all the kings of the earth ran and said, Hide me from the wrath of the king, from the Lamb of God. Now again, I'm not saying we're there. I'm saying there's a principle. Bloodshed cries out to the Lord and he responds with the shaking of the earth. There's a crisis in the church in that we've abdicated the care of the orphans and the widows to the state. 
James 1.27 says, pure and spotless religion is this, that we would look after the orphans and the widows in their despair. And yet, we, we've given that over to the state. As the church, we have said, we can't handle the kids. So we have a crisis called foster care. It's the farm team for prostitution and human trafficking. It should grieve our soul. It's happened on our watch. On our watch, there's no widespread revival. There's no widespread word of the Lord. There's no widespread demonstration of power. You know what the crisis is in my life? I preach the gospel and I don't have signs and wonders following me. I'm not raising the dead. My shadow isn't healing people. You say, oh, that happened in the book of Acts. Folks, we've got to have the book of Acts to endure the days we're coming to. For the most part, even in the church, we've, we've turned to the Lord and we said, we're not in need, we're Americans. The cry for freedom has been greater than the cry for mercy. And so he's, he's given us over to our freedom. And where's it gotten us? We say, oh, we can do it ourselves. I have a one-year-old, it's her favorite phrase. I do it, I do it myself. I do it, mommy. And it so pains me because some of the things she wants to do, I know if I let her do it, she's going to hurt herself. She wants so bad to walk down those stairs herself. And I know if I don't hold her hand, she's going to tumble and fall and break a limb. And she gets so angry with me. I do it! And I just think, God, are we saying, I do it, God. I do it myself. I want his mercy. I want God to have mercy on America, mercy on Alaska. But what if, what if his mercy is actually holding our hand helping us get down the stairs, removing even some of the props, like Randy said, so that we can operate at the fullest level of the spirit that he has intended. You know, uh, Mike Bickle has this great phrase when he talks about uh, the, the judgments of God. He says, uh, that the Lord will always use the least severe means to reach the greatest number of people at the deepest level of love without violating the human will. And so when I see things happen in the earth, I go, oh God, that was the least severe thing you could do to get their attention. And so when the earthquake happened in Japan and I watched the tsunami take away homes and thousands upon thousands of people were dying. I was, I was challenged in my heart. And I said, God, was 9.1 really the least severe thing he could, you could do? 
And he said, am I good? Are my ways really just and true? Can you sing that song? And then I began to hear things that were happening in Japan as a result. And just over the weekend, I had dinner with some folks that have some connections high level. There's unconfirmed reports of things happening in Japan that actually are going to change society. There's going to be a great revival come out of Watch Japan. I'll just say that. Watch Japan. Because he is going to bring beauty from the ashes, and there is going to be a day where the church in Japan stands up and says, It was worth it! It was worth it, Jesus! Great and marvelous are all of your ways. Just and true are your judgments, oh God. We will sing the song of the Lamb on that day. You know, have you ever been in, in one of those wave pools at one of these water parks? I kind of feel like I'm in a wave pool right now that's been shut off for a while. You know how they how they have to shut them off and give everybody kind of a break and the waters get real still and you can just kind of, you know, sit in the water. And then you hear it. You hear it first. The click, they turn the wave machine back on and then there's that groan of that wave machine making the waves and the waters begin to churn and it's just a ripple at first. But then there's these big waves, and if you're not careful, they kind of knock you down, and it's real fun. I feel, like we're, I feel like I'm in a wave pool in the nation, and I just heard click, and I can hear the groan of that wave machine starting to, to make waves. We're, we're beginning to feel some of those ripples, some of the waves. And the waves are getting bigger, but they haven't come to the point of knocking us down yet. And I'm saying that there are larger waves. There's a great shaking coming to the earth. And we are not exempt as Americans or Alaskans or even Christians. There's crisis indicators all over our country. That these killer storms. I saw, I think it was Newsweek or Time or one of those magazines the other day, the front of it had this big tornado and it said, the new normal. I mean, there's tornadoes in Chico, California, in Massachusetts. What in the world? The Mississippi River is flowing backwards in some places because of the flooding. You have the, the Walmart CEO write an article for CNN that urges people, people, plant a garden if you can, because the food prices are going to rise so, so high this summer that you're going to need to plant a garden. That's not a prophet. That's the CEO of Walmart. Now, a lot of these indicators are getting the attention of a lot of people. And I just say, what's next? What is the next wave? Can the next wave be averted by our prayer? Is the next wave really even on the radar? Or is it all just hype? Are we just making this up? 
You know, on April 27th, I don't know if you remember where you were on April 27th, but I remember hearing about the 300-plus tornadoes that tore across the South and the Midwest and killed hundreds of people, leaving devastation in their path. And I remember hearing, I'm text messaging this friend of mine who's in her basement in Tennessee where they don't normally have tornadoes, and she's talking about the roar that she's hearing outside, and I'm like, God, what is happening? And all of a sudden, I get uh, a message, David Wilkerson has just died in a car accident in Texas. And it was just the craziest thing. I, we've got these killer tornadoes, and this prophet of God dies the same day. And I, I don't know, I don't really care what you think about David Wilkerson, I believe he was a prophet to the nation. He preached holiness and justice and the judgment and the mercy of God for decades without bowing down to those who mocked him. He was a man of God. And the fact that he's taken away on the same day of, as these historic tornadoes, I just ha have to say God is speaking through that. Since his death, the copies of The Vision, prophetic book he wrote in 1974, they're almost sold out. You can't get it on Amazon anymore. Used paperbacks are going for $100 on Amazon. Now this man, he foresaw things coming to America. He, he boldly said it. He prepared his people. Times Square Church, they knew what was coming. He foresaw a devastating earthquake in the United States. Here's how he said it. It's going to be the most devastating earthquake the United States has ever seen. It's going to be the largest on the Richter scale ever measured, and it's going to come in a place where earthquakes don't normally happen. And I think it might be preceded by one in Japan. Watch. 1974. So he said it was coming then. What, now what? Is it soon? Another year? A day? 20 years? Timing is tricky. I'm not here to say timing. I'm just saying I hear it in my spirit. I see the Lord doing things. He takes a prophet away when historic storms come through. And I say, get ready. Blow the trumpet. Get prepared. Get oil. I can't say it loud enough, people. Trouble is coming to the nation. It's already at our doorsteps. I'm saying, get yourself ready. Get yourself ready. In a very practical way, I implore you, get yourself ready. Even FEMA is telling people, prepare for disaster. I think part of the reason they're saying that is because they're running out of money. There's too many disasters for them to even take care of people anymore. I'm saying it's smart to prepare for an ice storm. It's smart to prepare for something. But what if it's something bigger? Ask the Lord, get ready. Above all, get oil. Do not be found like the foolish virgins who thought they were ready, but they, they had no oil for their lamp. Stay sober. Stay watchful. Cultivate the work of the Holy Spirit in your life. Develop a prayer life. If you don't have a prayer life, now is a really good time to get one. 
In these days, he is removing all that hinders love. And you know what? He's actually answering our prayers. The prayers of years. Mary, you have sown prayer for decades into this place. He's answering your prayers. Intercessors who, who you've been hidden for years, pastors, you've cried out for the glory of God. He is answering. Let me say this, do not be offended if he comes in a way you did not expect. Blessed is he who is not offended because of me, is what Jesus said. I remember uh, days when we were pastoring in Cincinnati, Ohio. I, I ached for the glory of God. I, I literally ached on my physical frame for the glory of God. I would call out, God, I want to see your glory in this city. Would you please just show your face in this city? I want to see your eyes, your beautiful eyes of fire. I want to have your glory. And I remember the Lord whispering, and they were just whispers, and I didn't understand them. My glory and my judgment come together. And I remember thinking that was very heretical. <laughs> and I would go in the, the, these briefing rooms in the back, and I'd kind of like under my breath go, uh, what do you think about this? What if, what if like when we pray, like God actually sends judgment? to take care of things. I didn't understand. I didn't understand that my prayers could actually be filling the bowls that tip and release an answer on the earth that I didn't expect. Isaiah 26, 9 says this, when the judgments of God are in the earth, the inhabitants of the earth learn righteousness and justice. That's what happens when he pours out his, his judgments, his decisions. People learn righteousness. Have we been praying for justice? Have we been praying for speedy justice to come day and night? Have we cried out? Yes, we've been asking God, we want righteousness and justice as a foundation of this nation. How many of you that's been your heart cry? We've prayed, we've labored, we've cried out. And the Lord says, when my judgments are in the land, people will learn righteousness. We have to remove the mixture. We don't want any mixture in us when his glory comes. God doesn't bring judgment to destroy, but to redeem. What he comes to destroy is the work of sin, is the work of Satan. He removes sin from the midst of his people so they can be a set-apart people with no mixture who can stand and display his glory. And he always gives opportunity for voluntary love. That's that window of mercy. Voluntary love. Voluntary praying. Where are we on the timeline? I don't know. I feel the decree has maybe been issued, but there is always a perhaps God, and that's why we come. We stand in the gap. Now, Alaska, I have a word from the Lord for you. I don't say that very often. Mike Bickle says we get two of those tokens every year. <laughs> I don't think I've used one yet, and it's June, so I'm, I'm allowed. This morning, just praying for you, 
praying for the state, praying for this message, knowing that Alaska is a refuge state, knowing that we agree with that? Would you agree that this is a refuge state for the Jews, for those in need? And here's what the Lord said, Alaska, do not despise the tourists. I won't shut up. <laughs> if you despise the days when the tourists flood Alaska, you will despise the day when the refugees flood Alaska, and you will not fulfill the dream in God's heart about being a refuge state. If you resent the tourists in the days of prosperity, you will resent the refugees in times of trouble. Do not romanticize the day of refugees. I know a lot of you, I'm, me, I included, I'm not from Alaska, I feel this for Kansas City. We're a city of refuge. Long time ago, the Lord said, store up blankets, put blankets away. I didn't know what that meant. I kept hearing people say, we're getting rooms ready. We're getting hidden rooms ready for people to come. I, I didn't know what that meant, but it sounded romantic. It sounded really cool. Ooh, we're getting a room ready for the Jews when they come. Ooh. You know, you kind of just talk about it like it's romantic. What if they don't like you? What if they don't like the itchy blanket? What if they really wanted something soft? Serious. It's not romantic. Being a state of refuge is not something, whoo, it's going to be so fun when they all come. Won't it be lovely? No, it's going to be hard. You think it's hard when flag wavers come and you're not a flag waver? Wait till somebody comes into your house and they don't like the ramen that you've stored up. They really wanted hamburger or moose burger. Practice servanthood on the tourists and you'll be okay when the refugees come. And don't be deceived by thinking because you're removed from the lower 48 states, you will be unaffected by judgment that God perhaps releases on America. Don't fool yourselves believing, oh, God said we're a refuge state. We're going to be just fine. Nothing will touch Alaska. Let me tell you, part of your deliverance may be that the redemptive judgments touch your state to burn up everything that hinders love. You want to know what's coming so you can call God beautiful in the midst of it. You know, Moses had to go announce that the plagues were coming. And if you'll notice, the first three plagues affected the Hebrews. The first plague said, uh, he, he had to go and say, the, the river's turning to blood. It didn't say that it didn't happen in Goshen. It said the rivers turned to blood. Moses knew that was coming, so he had to go to his people. He said, look, here's the scoop. In a couple days, Tomorrow, whatever, a few hours, the river's going to turn to blood. You go down there and you get some water storage for a week because th this is what's coming. That was God's mercy. He gave the prophet foreknowledge that what was coming so the people could prepare. The ones who mocked were not prepared and did not have water. The ones who said, I hear that call, I believe that call, they were prepared. Their river turned to blood, but they were prepared. The second plague was the frogs, and the, the magicians could do that one too. So I imagine maybe frogs are all over their house.
houses. And their, you know what their challenge was? Their challenge wasn't to get the frogs out of the houses. Their challenge was to say, God, you are beautiful in the midst of these frogs. Because we know that these frogs are ultimately for our deliverance. The third plague was lice. The magicians couldn't do that one. We don't know that the lice affected the Hebrews. We don't know that it doesn't because it doesn't say until the fourth plague that it didn't affect Goshen. It's interesting, in Revelation 15, the martyrs are singing the song of Moses and the song of the Lamb. The song of Moses, great and marvelous are your ways, O God. Just and true are your judgments in all of the earth. We are to sing the song of Moses in the day of our deliverance, in the day where perhaps we are affected by the judgments that come to remove sin, but we are prepared because we have heard the Spirit's cry in our heart. We've prepared ourselves. We've set some water aside. We've, we've gotten our oil, and we stand ready to say, Great and marvelous are your ways, O God, King of the universe. And I'm going to wrap up here in just a minute. I just want to talk about Acts 2 really quick. Because you know what? Joel 2 is the roadmap that God has given us for a time of crisis. It's the prescription. When we're sick, we go to the doctor for a prescription. When a nation is sick, he said, Joel 2. Therefore, chapter 2, verse 12, turn to me with all of your heart, with fasting, with weeping, with mourning. Rend your heart, not your garments. Return to the Lord your God. He is gracious and merciful, slow to anger and of great kindness, and he relents from doing harm. Who knows if he will relent and leave behind him a blessing? Perhaps God will relent from sending judgment. Now, Acts 2 is a model, a New Testament model, of how to walk out Joel 2. You ever think about that? In Acts 2, they were doing Joel 2. You want Acts 2? Power of God? We do Joel 2. And when we're ready for trials and tribulations, you see that's how the church grew and scattered. And of course, then Jerusalem was destroyed. So Acts 2 was really to prepare a city for 70 A.D. It was his great mercy gift. I mean, when you think about it, the Acts timeline, they weren't, the, the people, the, the, before the Pentecost day, they weren't in the best circumstances. We often romanticize even the people of God in that day, in the upper room, like it was glorious. No, they, the, the religious governmental system had just killed their leader, he comes back from the dead, and instead of setting up his kingdom in Jerusalem like they thought, he takes them to a mountain, he flies away, and he says, wait just a little longer for the promise. That's a crisis. I mean, they had a little crisis of their own. How were they going to deal with the perse persecution that was awaiting them? 
How were they going to go back into the city and face the religious governmental leaders who had just killed Jesus? They went to a room. They prayed. They fasted. They waited. And then they waited some more. And suddenly, they received power from on high. And then the mockery starts. Oh, they're just all drunk. And you know the story. Peter, Peter explains it. No, this is what Joel talked about. Joel said if we'll get in a room and fast and pray, then we're going to get the power of God. He says the Spirit's going to be poured out on, from on high. We're going to prophesy. We're going to have dreams and visions. There's going to be cosmic calamity in the sky. There's going to be a lot of stuff happen. See, we forget that. We, say, we talk about the, uh, the power encounters, but we forget about the cosmic calamity. Sun turning dark, the moon turning blood, smoke and fire. I that sounds a little different than what happened. That makes me think, oh, it didn't all happen in Acts 2. It's coming in our day. So we know the rest of the story. 3,000 people get saved. Numbers are added to the church every day. Preaching is backed up by glorious signs and wonders. Everybody's living in community. It's wonderful and romantic. But did you ever think about where they were living, the historical timeline, and what was going on right alongside all that? Their friends are being martyred. Stephen is stoned for his faith. A few years after Pentecost, a famine spreads throughout all Judea. People are starving. A few years after that, the most wicked emperor, Emperor Nero, comes to the throne and he fiercely persecutes Christians. A few years after that, Peter and Paul are martyred under this wicked regime that's risen up. And in 70 AD, Jerusalem is destroyed, and those who escape are scattered to the ends of the earth. And for 2,000 years, the Jews, unbelieving and believing Jews, are without a city until 1967. And just for the record, our president made a very bold statement saying he'd like to rescind that. Let's go back to pre-1967. Let's, let's forget 1967 ever happened. That's the only way we can have peace, right? The earth is about to shake, I'm telling you. The earth is going to shake at the covenants we break, at the alliances we break. And we are given, Joel 2, as a mercy gift so that we can pray fast, receive power for what's coming. You know, we would never think, we would never call the book of Acts a defeat because it's not a defeat. I mean, even in their dire circumstances, those who lived in that day are very blessed in our minds to have witnessed the awesome power of God displayed with such authority and clarity. And yet, they went through famine and economic failure and martyrdom, and they lost their city. And it's all a setup for the man who's returning to take over the planet.
Jesus. He's returning. And he's going to return to Jerusalem and he's going to rule and reign from that place. That's where this is all going. That's, his, that's where it's all pointed. And so just like in the book of Acts, we've got to have the outpouring of the Holy Spirit so we can endure. And not just endure, but receive the kingdom promises and partner with him in the days to come. And if I can just ask the band to come back for a few minutes. We're going to close up here. And I know uh, some of you right now, some of you are skeptical. Some of you, this is really off your grid. But some of you, your hearts are burning and your ears are burning because you know it's the Lord. And I, I'm telling you, he's prepared you to hear this message. He's prepared your heart to receive it. He's prepared your ears to hear it. And that's why you're burning on the inside, because you're responding to the trumpet call of God. And you don't totally understand it. You don't have language. But you know it's God. And on the inside, you're saying yes. Yes. I want to say beautiful are all of his ways. I want to say it's going to be worth it all. When we look face to face, it's going to be worth it. Now let me be clear, our job today is to stand in the gap. Our job is to plead the blood of Jesus and to cry out for mercy until the window shuts. We don't call down the judgments of God. We cry out for mercy. We cry out mercy on America, God. Oh, that we could have a little more time, that a few more might prepare, that a few more might be ready to join in the great song of Moses and the song of the Lamb. Beautiful and great are all your ways. Stand with me today. I just want to take a moment and I want to consecrate ourselves before the Lord. Joel 2 says, blow the trumpet in Zion. Consecrate a fast. Call a sacred assembly. Go gather the people, all of the people, young and old, babies, brides, Rooms. Let the priests minister, who minister before the Lord, weep between the porch and the altar. Let them say, spare your people, O God. Why should, why should the nations look and say, where is your people? Where is your God? So we're going to say, God, we sanctify ourselves. We set ourselves apart today. We set ourselves apart as intercessors who stand in the gap. When you look on Alaska looking for one that will stand in the gap, you will find those. We say yes today. Come forward. I just invite you, if you say yes today to this call, I want you to come forward and sanctify yourself. Set yourself apart for this holy day. It is a holy day, a holy moment we live in. God, we give ourselves to you. Worship Jesus and consecrate yourself today.
feel like the Lord is saying that the call is beginning right now. You don't set your own time for a call. We just heard a trumpet sound. Things are changing. Everybody knows it's all shifting. You say, what about the message of the dominion of the church? I was amazed recently speaking to Lance Wallnow, a leader of the Seven Mountains movement in America. And he said, Lou, tell Mike Bickle, I'm not as far from him theologically as he may think, for I do not believe in complete dominion. I believe that in every place there will be a testimony of the dominion of Christ but it was only the coming of Christ that will bring the complete dominion of his rule and reign into the earth. And it is actually the dominion of Christ manifested through his church. It's in the days when Nebuchadnezzar rules and Daniel is raised up in the midst of the crisis to display the kingdom dominion testimony in the darkest days. We are not looking for full dominion in this age. We are looking for the one Jesus Christ to come. He will judge the kings of the earth. He is coming, but until then, we're not hiding in caves. We are bringing the dominion of Christ as a testimony in the darkest days when the powers of death and hell will rage. It will be the greatest hour for the church. Signs and wonders, miracles, displayed rulers will be raised up with the testimony of christ displayed his majesty there will be the harlotry of the last days babylon church but in the midst of it god will raise up a pure bride can i say to you today that the sexual immorality at the end of the age is actually that which is producing the most pure bride in the earth for the very demonization of sexual immorality is producing a people that their only answer to the demonization of sexual culture is to love Jesus with all their heart all their soul all their heart he is going to produce a pure pure bride through the pressure folks we're in a time when the dominion of the king is being known but we look for the day when Christ himself returns. Come quickly, come quickly, Lord Jesus. I tell you, those women in sex trafficking today need a deliverer. They need someone to judge the gods and set them free. It's time, it's time for the church to cry day and night for justice and he will come. Will you find faith on the earth when he comes? He is coming. The call starts right now for the next two hours. Are you all right with that? For the next two hours, we're in here worship. You can go. You can go to the bathroom. You can do what you want. But I sense the Lord saying, I dictate the day. I dictate the time to blow the trumpet. And I'm saying, I believe the trumpet has been blown. Not just a horn, but a sound of coming trouble, but a sound of coming glory. At the same, give a shout to God. Prepare yourselves over the next two hours. 
I want you to search and ask God. See, judgments come not just... Judgment comes to judge the gods of a nation. Come on. When the Lord came in judgment, he came to judge the gods of Egypt. That's what happens. The powers of darkness are coming. The Bible says, and the powers of the heavens and the powers of the earth will be shaken. I tell you, it's all going to be shaken. He's judging the gods so there will be one God in that day. Right now, over the next two hours, judge your own gods. Prepare your own hearts. Say, God, have at me. Cleanse me of all compromise, of yearnings to still live in Sodom. Oh, God, turn away my heart that wants to look back. Oh, Jesus, come and search us with lambs over the next few hours. Burn through this place and create a Daniel company who can rise with God and judge the gods at the end of the age. And so here we go. Father, we invoke your spirit now. Release repentance. Release breakthroughs. Release the grace to turn to you in ways we haven't turned. God, release grace for breakthroughs in our families and in our marriages. Come. Come now. Go ahead. Lift your hands and say, God, come. Come. Have at my own life. Come. Break in to Alaska. What goes on here today? Let it go to the whole nation. The, the call starts now in Jesus' name.